and I don't want them I just I don't want them cluttering up around here so I'm just going to hand some out and you can look after them for me so Barry if you can just look after that for me and there was a camera we've got some pencils Brianna if you can just hold on to those now a lot of these things are valuable in some way or dear to me so just don't break them okay Look after them carefully. It's a puzzle that we got in, uh, where did we get this one? In Germany. Special Museum. You hold on to that, Loretta. I think it was in Germany. Could have been Switzerland. There's a little notepad. Who can look after this notepad for me? Jess, thank you. What else have I got? got a couple more notepads. Uh, Anne, thank you. Gwenda, you can just look after that. <coughs> I've got an orgasmatron. Um, it's a head massager. Simon, I'm going to give that to you because you're a masseuse. Look after that. Be careful with it. Cost two dollars. And and um, I've got some pens. Actually, I'll give those to the people with notepads. <coughs> there you are, Anne, Gwenda. Thank you. Actually, you've already got a pen, Anne. You've got two pens to look after. And this box, who's going to look after the box for me? Heike. Thank you. So be careful, okay, because they don't belong to you. Uh, they belong to me, okay. And we're talking about do not steal, so don't go ahead and put them in your pocket or your bag. Um, I'm, I'm going to get them back from you uh, later on, but, but not just yet. <coughs> Let's begin. Why do you think God commands us not to steal? Why, why, why does he do that? Why does he say don't steal? Is it because he's a killjoy and he just thinks, you know what, I want you to have as little as possible, so I know you could go out there and get stuff for yourself, but I don't want you to have good things. That doesn't sound like God's character. God is good, right? If you had to choose between good or bad, which one would you choose to describe God? Right. So when he rejects something, when he says, hey, don't steal, if God is good, I would assume that there's a good reason for it. And the reason he would reject it is because that thing is not good. Would you follow that? So he says don't steal because he has something better in store for us. And so when we embraced do not covet, we learned that there's actually something better in store for us contentment. When we, when we embrace do not lie, we recognize that there's something better in store for us, that we can be purveyors of the truth, that we will be known in the world as purveyors of the truth. And so whenever God says something to not do, he's actually leading us to something better. So he says do not steal. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what does that lead to? Because that's probably the reason why God says do not steal. And to answer that, we need to ask, well, why do we steal? <coughs> George has just got the answer on his smartphone. Just popped up, God's told her, he texted her. So why do we steal? I think we steal because we doubt God's ability or his desire to provide for us. We refuse to put things in his hands and we take things into our own hands. 
Sometimes, quite literally, we take things into our own hands. The implication is that the opposite of doubting God and taking things into our own hands would be to believe God and give things into God's hands. So why does God say do not steal? Because he wants to lead us into something much better. When we steal, it's us doubting and taking. God's way is for us to believe and to give. But who knows that, I'm going to say, so. here's a really obvious statement that sometimes isn't very obvious to us. Not doing something is not the same as doing something. That's completely obvious, isn't it? I mean, obviously, they're, they're, you've just added the word not, so that puts it on the other end. But sometimes we think that they're the same thing. You see, avoiding evil is not the same as doing good. James 4 verse 7, we know it, it says this. <laughs> Can I just, Liz has just dropped a bit, <laughs> rinsed out of the floor. Let me get that for you, Liz. There you go. I couldn't leave over there for the rest of the time. That was going to distract me. <laughs> James 4 verse 7. We know it. It says, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. That's encouraging, isn't it? If you just resist evil, if you just don't do bad things, then the devil will flee from you. But that's not the whole verse. And, and I just learned that part of the verse. The whole verse, the, the thing that comes directly before it is this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. There's two actions there. You thought, and I thought, that all we had to do was resist evil. Avoid evil and then it would go away. But avoiding evil is not the same as doing good. And so there's two actions. First we submit ourselves to God, then we resist the devil. And so... Just because we've resisted the temptation to steal, it doesn't mean that we've entered into the fullness of life with God, which is believing and giving. So we've had two weeks about theft and the negative influence on, of, of theft on our lives. But don't be fooled into thinking that just because we can stop stealing, that means that you've entered into the fullness of God's promise for your life. I mean, this applies to many areas, this principle. And I would love for this to challenge you this morning to not just avoid evil, but to seek doing good. I mean, you can resist swearing, but that doesn't mean that you encourage people. You could, you could resist getting drunk, but that doesn't mean that you have the joy of the Holy Spirit, which can replace that alcoholic joy. You can, you can resist having an affair, but that doesn't mean that you have a great marriage. Am I right? Is this ringing true with anybody? Because sometimes I used to think that Christians were just people who had a big book full of rules, and there were just a whole bunch of do-nots. What's different about Christians? Well, they don't drink, they don't swear, I mean, they don't lie, they're supposed to forgive people. But there's actually a difference between just avoiding evil and actually doing good. And so, with every restriction or rule, we need to look for and seek out the fullness of life on the other end of the spectrum that God has hidden for us. 
I believe God hides things for us, not from us. Like an Easter egg hunt. When people, when the kids come out on Easter morning. When is it? Is it on Sunday? Do we do it on Sunday? I don't know. I haven't got kids. They come out and the kids don't come up to you and they say, Dad, where's my eggs? You say, I hid them. Oh, why do you hide them for? I said, well, you've got to go find them. What's all that work? Just give them to me in the box. Why did you even unwrap them? No, they love to go and find things. And I believe God hides things for us so that we can have joy in going to find them. But if we get like a stinky attitude teenager and we come into the Word or we come into church and we cross our arms and we say, I'm way too cool for an Easter egg hunt. I'll let the younger kids who are excited about finding stuff of God, I'll let them go and read their Bible. I'll let them pray and seek the Lord. I'll let them take notes in church so they can revisit things later and be encouraged and inspired. But you know what? God, um, if you want to give me Easter eggs, you can just give them to me, okay? No, God hides things for us. And with every commandment to not do something, he's hiding for us something to go and do. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The positive side to do not steal. The fullness of life found on the opposite end of just not stealing. You see, the action of stealing when we embrace this positive side becomes the action of giving. The, the, the doubting God's ability to provide becomes believing that God can provide. The attitude of lack, that I don't have enough, so I'll take it for myself, becomes faith that God will provide. And so much of this comes down to one idea for me, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, is stewardship. If you've got something to write something down, write down stewardship. Because I want to talk to you about stewardship this morning. You know, 1 Peter 4, verse 10, says this. Could you just open that for me, please? It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful, what? Stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, so God's grace has various forms. Uh, he's given us gifts, and we have received them, and therefore serving others, and we're to be faithful stewards. I said to Kirstie last night, what do you think about stewardship? She says, what's stewardship? And so I'm so glad that she said that, because it, I thought everybody knew. Now I can explain. <laughs> Stewardship is an ethic that embodies, this is what Wikipedia says, just FYI, that embodies the responsible planning and management of resources. The concepts of stewardship can be applied to the environment, economics, health, property, information, theology, etc. So the steward used to be the person who was in charge of the affairs of the household. And I like to think it's a convenient role so that if the master of the house needs to leave, then the steward has things covered. The house is going to keep running smoothly. And so <coughs> nowadays you might think of a flight attendant, a steward, someone who's responsible for the well-being of the people on the plane. And so God's saying, you guys are meant to be faithful stewards. 
What does he mean? Well, he's putting us in charge. He's saying, I want you guys to manage my resources. Here's what I love. My favorite sort of version of the steward is from one of my favorite movies, The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've seen The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, but there's this big white city and it's going to be the last city to fall to the orcs and they need to defend it. And Aragorn, one of the main characters, is uh, a descendant of the line of who? The kings. The kings of Gondor. And so he can inherit it, but he's not the king. Instead of having a king, Gondor has a steward, and he's called the steward of Gondor. And you walk into the throne room, and there's this enormous staircase up to the throne, but on the side, on the, on the ground, is the throne for the steward. To symbolize the fact that there is a king, but he's not around. And so in his absence, the steward is going to look after the kingdom. He's not a good steward in the movie. In fact, he's a terrible steward. And one of the biggest things that makes him a bad steward is that he gets cocky. And he figures the king's never coming back. So I'm going to do with Gondor whatever I like, and I am the boss now. But he doesn't realize that the king is coming back, and because he's gotten cocky, he's going to be treated very poorly. So he burns himself in all manner of horrible things. Here's my point. God says we're stewards. So he's saying, well, you guys are the stewards of the kingdom of heaven. The king's gone away, but he's coming back. And I want you to look after the kingdom while I'm gone. That's good preaching. You and I are stewards of the kingdom of heaven. We have been left in charge. He says, I want you to manage my house. I want you to look after things while I'm gone. Don't be fooled. I'm coming back. And when I come back, I want to see what you've done with it and make sure that you've been responsible. And so we're looking after the kingdom whilst the king is gone. There's three questions, questions that I want to ask you this morning that have to do with stewardship and that can challenge us on how we see our role in the kingdom of God. Because I believe that in Western culture today, we have things that the world tells us that mislead us from being good stewards. So the first question is this, do I see myself as entrusted or entitled? Do I see myself as entrusted or entitled? You know, we're told that there's many things that we are entitled to. You deserve that. And if you don't get it, go and take it for yourself because you're entitled to it. We can feel entitled to money. We can feel like we're entitled to have money, to have a job, to have health, to have a marriage to have a promotion, to have respect, to have freedom, even just simple things like shelter. Because we live in a society where we don't want people to lack those things, am I right? We don't want someone to go without shelter, and so we provide. But the, but the danger of that is that we can become entitled. Let's check out Psalms 24, verse 1 to 2. It says this, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, 
the world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean's depths. So who, who, who owns everything? God. Who owns everything? Who owns the people of the earth? Who owns the environment of the earth? Who owns the resources of the earth? Okay, so, so when we are put in charge, are we entitled to what we have or are we entrusted with what God has given us? You see, God owns everything. As J. John said at present, God owns all the donuts. You see, we are entrusted. We are just borrowers of his things. And, and so that can be really depressing because you think, oh, I don't own anything. I mean, it's depressing if you, if you uh, judge your life and your success based on how many things you have. Or it can be encouraging because I thank God for letting me borrow his 50-inch plasma TV because it is great and I really enjoy watching stuff on that plasma. And I'm so thankful that he's entrusted me with that. No, me. <laughs> so it increases our thankfulness to understand that God owns everything and he's just entrusted us with it. Because we can be thankful for everything. But it also makes it easier to give. Because what we have didn't belong to us in the first place. What we have belongs to a God who is bigger and better than anything that we could achieve for ourselves. And so if God says to you, hey, I want, to, I want you to give that plasma to somebody, I'm not going to say, well, God, how can I do that? Because that just means that I'm going to be without a plasma. No, no, wait. Who's, who's the person who told you to give the plasma away? God. And what does God own? Everything. So when he says, hey, I want you to give the plasma away, I mean, it's easier to give because A, it's God's anyway. He's just asking you to give something that is his. And B, you can believe, well, God owns everything. So if I need a plasma, maybe you'll get me a bigger one. <laughs> Who knows? The second question is this. Do I misuse or abuse what I have been entrusted with? All of us have resources, all of us have gifts, all of us have time, all of us have things that we have been entrusted with. Are we misusing or abusing? Turn to the person next to you and say, are you misusing or abusing? Like the way that rhymes? You like that? It took me ages. <laughs> Malachi 3, verse 8. We're talking about do not steal. This is the opposite. It says, Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. This is God talking. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Or well, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. How can you rob from God? Well, he says tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I, will throw, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be 
there will not be room enough to store your bigger plasma TV. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I was driving along with my family once, and, and uh, we put up at a, an intersection, and there was a church over the road. It was a Sunday morning, and I just, I don't know, actually, I don't know how that happened. I just started coming to church. Maybe it wasn't a Sunday morning. And there was a church event going on at the church, and people were coming out, and <coughs> uh, somebody said, bloody Jesus lovers. And, and uh, I hadn't told them that I was a Christian yet, so that was awkward. Um <laughs> And, and, and then they proceeded to start talking about how, uh, did you know that uh, in the church they do this thing called the tithe? And they actually give 10% of their income to the church, to God. I mean, that's, what a ripoff. Isn't that crazy? It's all about money. Okay. So, but God's saying, you're robbing me by not giving me my tithes and offerings. And so I'm thinking, with that mindset... I thought when I was tithing, I was being really generous. I was thinking 10% of my income, God, that's one in 10 that I'm giving to you. And he's saying, no, no, what? <laughs> I'm just letting you keep nine. All 10 belong to God. And then we just give him one of his 10 back. And so if you don't give that back, then, then that's why he calls it, robbing from him because it was his to begin with we thought it was ours and we were being generous but i think he sees things differently if i leave my car at your house and then and then i call you up and i say oh, I, I need my car i might come and swing past and you say i'll bring it to you and you drive my car back to me at my house and you rock up and you give me the keys and i say thanks so much for doing that that's really nice and then you walk away disappointed. So that, that was nowhere near the, as big a reaction as I was expecting. I just gave them a car. <laughs> I say, what? No, you didn't. It was my car to begin with. You just drove it back to me. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I could have kept it. <laughs> yeah, but that would be stealing, wouldn't it? That's how God sees the tithe. He puts things in your hand... And you bring it back to him. And we expect him to be really impressed. <laughs> Look how much he gave you. It was mine to begin with. You know, when we were making a short film, we, we had some music in the short film. And uh, far too late we realized <coughs> that it was based on an arrangement of a song that was still in copyright. And we hadn't licensed the copyright. And so... We looked into it, we said, okay, well, how can we do this properly? How can we make sure that we are paying what we need to pay? And so we called up APRA and we said, how much is this going to cost us? And it was a huge amount, like thousands of dollars. And we just thought, oh, that's too much. So we figured out a different way to get it. And we felt really unfair about it until I realized, well, they've made something and then you're going to use what they've made to make something of your own and make money from it. And so they deserve to be paid for what you're using of theirs. And I think that's a bit like the tithe. 
I mean, how do you make money? With a job. God's given you a job, hasn't he? How do you, how do you work at the job? With time. Who gave us time? Who gave us resources? Who, how do you fuel your body to go to work? Food. Who gave us the food? I mean, you can just draw everything back to God. He can just claim credit for everything. And so you're almost just paying him royalties to use all of his stuff to make the money that you're making. We'll leave it there. Number three question is this. Am I a good and faithful steward? I want to read you a parable, a little lengthy, so stay with me. It's Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. Jesus is talking. He says, he's trying to explain to people what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip to Fiji. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used their money, his money, excuse me. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. It's a 200% return on investment. That's good. That's a lot more than you'd get if you put it in the bank or used it on stocks and shares, most likely, unless you did really high-risk stuff, or probably also real estate, depending on how long the trip was. And I remember reading this as a young Christian thinking, oh, I feel he got away with it. Because I'd always been told, that's risky. If you go and invest stuff, you've got a risk of losing it. Where are we up to? The master said, oh, excuse me, two. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So his, his risk has paid off. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. And I remember reading that thinking, well, you know, at least he's played it safe. And I thought he was going to get well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe risk a bit more next time. The master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it, 4.45% on an online saver at ANZ. 
Then he ordered, take the, order, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. I thought, that's a bit unfair. He's already got 10. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, he already got the smallest amount to begin with. He tried to play it safe and he lost everything. So by not risking, by not using what he was giving, he lost it anyway. Who's got those things that I gave them? So Barry, I gave you a camera. What did you do with it? He guarded it. Okay, so you kind of buried it in the soil and said, I don't want anything to go wrong with it. You had it under your arm the whole time. I could have had a nice photo of me preaching, but I don't. Okay, I'll take it back. You wicked and lazy servant. <laughs> Anne, Gwenda, your notebooks. <laughs> she went to the bank and got another pen. Thank you. I thought I gave you two pens to begin with. Oh, and sorry, is there anything, did you write anything in the notebook? Because it was mine, okay. Because I could have had a nice picture or some notes or something. Gwenda, did you do anything? Nothing, you kept it nice and safe in the dirt. Okay, would you, has anyone done anything with the things that I gave them? Because yours is trickier, Brianna. I, I put rubber bands on there, but under that um, is a whole bunch of pencils that last night were in order of color, but I messed them up so that you had an opportunity to fix something. <laughs> but you haven't done that, have you? Right, so you're just giving it back to me the same as what I gave it to you. Okay. Oh, Abby! Yes, please! Good and faithful servant. Actually, you know what, Abby? I'm going to give you those notebooks as well. Because you've been so faithful with the Derwent pencils, I'm going to give you more. And Hakey, the box. You couldn't open it. If you'd figured out to open it, I would have given the money inside. In his defense, it is a trick box. <laughs> you just need to pull on the corners. Oh, oh my goodness. And then, and then that slides out. But... Seeing as you did nothing with it, I'm going to take it back. Has anyone else got something? You guys, did you write anything? Draw anything? Mike's an artist. You could have got him to draw something in there. But you didn't. Oh, who's got the puzzle? It's still in the bag, isn't it? That's because you're faithfully taking notes. You're busy doing... Well, that's more godly than putting a puzzle together, so I'm not going to blame you for that. Hmm. <coughs> But I'm going to take the puzzle back. And, and have I successfully made a point here this morning? All we have has come our way by the loving hand of God. We are stewards, not owners. We are to look after what he's given us. Looking after does not mean not doing anything with it in case we risk it. Simon, you have a massager, a head massager. Where is it? 
<laughs> Where is it? <laughs> Where is it? Did you hide it? You lost it. <laughs> okay, so not only have you not used it to like like pleasure the heads around you, but <coughs> Oh Michelle Good and faithful servant. Michelle, do you like those? Okay. Michelle, you can find someone to give that to. Barry. No, Barry didn't do anything with the stuff I gave him. Find somebody else. <laughs> I chose items that uh, could have had something done with them, used for a purpose, or improved upon return. We are stewards, not owners. Not doing anything with what we've been given out of fear of risking and losing it is not being a good steward. We need to use what we have, to give what we have. And to those who use well what we're given, more will be given. To those who use well what they're given, he says, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. Has anyone ever wanted God to fill their life with an abundance. Right, so here's the secret to those who use well what they are given. So it's not about waiting until you have an abundance to give. It's about using well what you have so that you have an abundance. From those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So when you just keep what you've been given, that is all that it will be. If you've been given some resources and you just keep it, it's going to stay as that. It's like you're burying it in the ground. You can't expect it to multiply. When you give it to God, it multiplies. So we've left taking up the offering till the end this morning. Not because... <coughs> This is all about giving money. But because it's an opportunity that we have in church to be stewards of what we've been given. The resources that we have been given, we're called to be good stewards. And what we keep and say, God, I know you've got ideas for what you want me to do with this stuff, but just shh, because I've got my own ideas. I'm not saying give 100% to the Lord. But I'm saying... What we have is his anyway, and he calls us to use it in certain ways. And so what we have, we need to give. We're going to take up the offering in just a second, so just prepare yourselves. I want to encourage you with this. John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he prayed for it. No, for God so loved the world that he sang a great song in vibrato. No, for God so loved the world that he wrote a lovely poem. For God so loved the world that he stuck a fish on the back of his car so that everyone would know that when he speeds and cuts them off, it's a Christian. No, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave 
his only son so that we might have eternal life and not perish. Love gives. Love gives. When we love God, when we love the church, we give. So let's take up the offering this morning. Whilst they're doing that, I'm going to encourage you with this. I read about a study that compares tithers to non-tithers in the United States. They surveyed over 4,000 people, over 4,400 people, from all different demographics across all different parts of America. The researchers compared tithers to non-tithers using nine financial health indicators and found that tithers were better off in every category. Among tithers, for example, 80% had no unpaid credit card bills, 74% don't owe anything on their cars, 48% own their home, and 28% are debt-free. The person who did the study said this, the weird thing is a tither looks at that and says to himself, mm, I'm better off because I give. A non-tither looks at that and says, oh, well, they give because they're better off. God's kind of saying, hey, test me out here. Give it a whirl. Before we close, I just want to give people an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you would like to ask Jesus into your heart, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Because when I first, before I became a Christian, I saw Christians as people who followed this book full of rules. And it really disturbed me as to why they would just be all about these rules. What I didn't understand is that Christianity is about a relationship, not rules. And so we can come from a past where we've broken every single rule and we can think there's no way I can possibly meet God's standards on my own. And you're right, you can't meet them on your own. You can meet them because He gave His Son so that you would be made clean. And then I experienced something of God and saw the difference between a relationship and rules. And it's, it's easy for us as we're preaching on the Ten Commandments to focus on the rules. But I'm so glad that Nathan shared in his communion message about how that's not what it's about. It's not about the rules. We're not saved because we follow the rules. We're saved because we have a relationship with Jesus. And so why don't you just close your eyes here this morning if there's anybody here who maybe for the first time or maybe you've done it in the past but you'd like to do it again, you feel like you've slipped away and you want to come back this morning. If there's anybody here who wants to ask Jesus to come into their life, to call them a Christian, to call themselves a Christian and follow God from this day forward, I would love to pray a prayer with you that does just that. So if you're here this morning and that's you, I would ask for you to just lift up your hand and acknowledge that's you. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it back down again. Is there anyone else here this morning? Just put up your hand and I'll see it. We can pray together. Fantastic. Why don't you stand with me?
I think there's something very powerful in declaring Jesus I'm asking you into my heart and declaring it to others as well and so the person that put up their hand I would ask would you come up the front with me why don't you just grab one of your friends and bring them up with you we can pray together step in, stepping out the front and saying, hey, that's me. Awesome. Why don't we all pray together? You can just close your your eyes and lift your hands. Why don't you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I turn away from my life of the past. I ask you to come into my life, to fill my heart your joy, with your peace and your love. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins and from this day forward I am 